weeks. Our theme of the week is health and wealth, guys. As I'm stumbling here, health and wealth. So we're gonna move into the meat and potatoes there. Um, like, do you want to kick us off with your with your health topic for the week and just kind of fill in your audience on, on what's been going on with you? Sure. Yeah. Uh, so like Garrett was saying, we all uh, uh, picked a little a little topic to talk about, and uh, so I decided to go with health. Uh, I don't know too much about wealth compared to Brian and, and, and Garrett. Uh, just kind of just kind of roll with the punches on that one. Uh, but health, yeah. So uh, so the topic I decided to go with was uh, the mind and body connection. And so before I get into this, uh, I just want I want to make it clear that this isn't some like hippy dippy bullshit. Uh, you know, hipster <laughs> new age. You know, I'm I'm sure you guys all all catch my drift on what I'm going with here. But um, so I I want to talk about how the the mind and the body are just inextricably linked, and and how your body feels directly affects how your mind feels and vice versa. So um, and I. As as most of you guys know, I'm I'm in the military, and I, I think it's I think it's important to mention how um, you know what the military is actually doing to focus on um, the mind and body connection, specifically with um, with mindfulness and breath work. Now, some of you guys may be like, "What mindfulness? Isn't that like isn't that what yoga people talk about? Isn't that what you know <laughs> your your local?" Uh, man bun wearing dude at, at whole foods talks about but but no it's um so mindfulness and breath work has some has some legitimate science behind it um so so for those of you who don't know the um what mindfulness is is essentially making a uh, a concerted effort to being present in the moment uh focusing on on what's going on around you in the here and now and not not thinking about the future and not thinking about the past just being being in the moment um and that's that's something that's that's hard to accomplish in today's uh fast-paced society where we've all got uh we've all got smartphones distracting us um f from the present moment we've got um netflix shows that we're watching emails coming up uh thinking you know as as our lives get more and more fast-paced we're always just thinking of other things rather than what's going on right in front of you and and that um and that's not how humans evolved. We um, we didn't evolve with that with those kind of distractions, and and we're starting to see uh, some some real negative impacts uh, because of that. Um, anxiety and depression rates are on the rise, especially in younger ch uh, children who who have only known social media. Um, you know, uh, it's some of the darker stuff here uh, suicide rates are, are on the rise not not only because of the economy more recently but you know be, because people just they don't feel as good and so um mindfulness is is a is a is a, a tool that um you know businesses and the military are, are looking at to 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 offset that um i know uh, more per um more applicable to what I'm talking about, the the, the Navy itself is uh, it's it's been having a problem with, with suicides over the past over the past ten years, and um and they're really in and that's not just uh, the Navy, but it's it's, it's uh, all the military branches as a whole. So they're they're trying to come up with with ways to uh, to offset that. Um, so so I I've re I recently got trained in uh, what's called the Warrior Toughness Program, where um. 
so all the all the new enlisted sailors coming through boot camp they get exposed to this warrior toughness program and the command that i'm working at is the uh, kind of the next phase in rolling that out because because we're a training command um and so what the warrior toughness program is is it is it's these uh these techniques backed by science that um they've they've tested in special forces uh and you know they've you know hired a whole lot of real smart uh doctors and psychologists to to study these things but it's using it's using breath work to to keep yourself in the in the present moment so i've got a little activity for you guys uh that that I, and for those of you listening um you know feel free to chime in but so one of these techniques that 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 i got trained up on is called the uh, the recalibration technique and so the goal here is to is to slow your breathing um to after a while slow your heart rate and make your make yourself feel relaxed so so what we're going to do is we're going to breathe in for six seconds hold for two and breathe out seven and well i'll only do it twice i don't want this to to take too long um but the goal is to do it you know for however long it takes you to feel better so are you guys ready six two seven yep uh, i'll lead us off all right so inhale for six one two three four five six hold for two one two exhale for seven one two three four five six seven and now we, we don't need to keep going with that but the the goal so that was that was pretty unnatural right that's not how you normally yeah. breathe um and it, it might it might have even been a little bit difficult but the goal there is to is to slow um, the rate at which you're breathing. So one, you're more conscious of it. So it's it's bringing your attention to the forefront of what's go of, of what you're doing, of what your body's doing. Um, but also that that slows down your heart rate, which um, which has some some good physical benefits in, in just relaxing you. So that's uh, so that's one of there's there's five other techniques uh, that that I got trained up on in this warrior toughness program. But but the end goal here is to is to keep is to keep people focused in the present moment during stressful situations. Um, so I'm gonna I'm gonna overlay this another article that I was I was reading um, from the New York Times. Um, so it's titled "The Latest in Military uh, Strategy: Mindfulness." And and so um, you know I'm not gonna go through this whole article, but essentially it's it was just talking about all these these real high level military people um i think specifically they they interviewed a um a major general in the army um talking about what he does out out in the combat zone to um to maintain mindfulness so he says that he wakes up every morning um and starts off his day with he starts and ends his day with a five minute breathing exercise to kind of keep himself relaxed and um you know help him plan and uh, decompress at, at the beginning of and end of each day and so, and it also goes on to talk about how um, not only the the United States Special Forces groups, but um, British Special Forces and other um, other special forces from from different nat nations are starting to use these uh, these mindfulness techniques to teach to teach soldiers how to remain calm during uh, high stress situations. Um, they talk about how you know the work the working meant the working memory, which is like um, just essentially your short-term memory gets all gets all bogged down when when your brain becomes overwhelmed and you can and right. you can you can slow down your breathing and focus on the 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 here and now to kind of 
to allow your brain to, to function more fluidly. Uh, allows you to make better decisions for, for snipers. Uh, it allows them to, to take uh, better shots to you know, minimize unwanted casualties. Um, so it's, uh, I think it's, uh, I think it's definitely something that that we're going to start hearing a lot more about um, as as we progress, as people, you know, um, as our lives become more consumed with technology, just just paying paying more attention um, to your biological self, to uh, to yeah. what's going on inside of you. Um, I agree too, because right there, like. So, for example, I work for a tech company, and um, at the beginning of quarantine, so this would have been, what, April or so, when everybody's working from home, uh, my company actually paid for Headspace accounts for every employee. So, I've messed around with it a little bit, um, like doing, they have a bunch of different uh, courses you can do for meditation. I've done, I think, like 15 days of meditation or something. Something like I think I would see direct benefits with if I would start doing it more often. However, when I was going back in the office, like I didn't want to, you know, just sit there and start meditating in front of everybody in our flex workspace. So um, maybe I'll find a, a cool way to implement that in my work day. But it definitely was peaceful and a great way to start the morning. Yeah. Yeah. I've, I've actually used that app. Um... You know, I, I haven't really done it in a while. Uh, I should probably get better about this since I'm I'm the one bringing up this topic. But I know personally for myself, I uh, you know I've gone through little bouts of of trying out those little meditation apps. And if if I do it for you know a week or ten days or something, I do see like tangible benefits in in my state. You know, I, I, I being being able to uh, to take in more of your environment um, and not you know bouncing around like oh uh who who what's going on on twitter what's the latest news article uh what, what do i have you know what do i have to do next week you know kind of allowing allowing those the waves crashing in your mind to to settle down a little bit better is um ah. you know doesn't it doesn't take a whole, a whole lot of time to to reach that as as the world around us gets so much faster and as our personal worlds get so much faster that's a really good tip to really slow things down. Uh, and I, and I feel like, you know, us can all relate on that. Having a recent experience of college life, you know, just youth and kind of in this transitional period that we are into starting our careers, starting our lives, making bigger decisions, your decisions, having bigger impacts and consequences and how fast things can truly move. So, it's an awesome tip, Blake. I think that's I think that's definitely something I'm going to look into personally and, and really try to instill in my own life. Do it, man. Yeah, maybe you should meditate before playing COD. <laughs> maybe I need uh, a great <laughs> idea. Great idea. Hey, you're well, preaching I, positivity need, in like, those we need COD lines. It's <laughs> the movement. <laughs> One player at a time, brother. One player at a time. <laughs> um, like, any any last last tips before we move on to Brian? Um. Not no, really. Just that's a that's some... great meditation. I like that tip. I probably will use that in in for six, uh, hold for two, and then six twenty seven for seven. The the whole goal, the the two things that you want to focus on: slow down your breath and be aware of your breath. If your mind starts wandering, you know, just be like, hey, I should be focusing on my breath. Bring your attention back to the breath. Uh, every time you do that, it's a little bicep curl for your brain. 
and uh, you'll get better at it. E. Hey, um, actually, Cameron, do you want to go next so we can just keep the health going? Yeah, let's yeah, keep it in line with health. Uh, on that note, I'm going to go grab another seltzer that. since we're talking about you know keeping our bodies strong. <laughs> All right, hurry back. Buddy. What do you want to do? Peace. Um, yeah, one last thing about the breathing techniques and stuff is uh, if y'all haven't heard of Wim Hof, uh, I check him out. There's a, a breathing just in and of itself can do a lot for you uh, physically. Thing, things you wouldn't even imagine you could do, uh, you can do with the proper breathing techniques. So check him out, W I M H O F F. And also that uh, app, Headspace, I do recommend that. Well, I guess three of us have used it. Have you used it, Garrett? I haven't. I'm the lone wolf. Yeah, maybe download it. Check it out. They have at least a 10-day free thing that you can go through uh, each day. And I think it's just like 10 minutes uh, for 10 days. You can even do it for and five. You can even do it for five. Um, but yeah, I I like that when I've done it. Same kind of as Blake and I guess Brian. Is, I've just done it on and off here and there. And I think it's a good reset for you uh, to slow things down. Um, but it, another thing that you wouldn't consider, um, affects your health so drastically is your vitamin D levels. Um, so it's pretty surprising how many people in our country, I've seen numbers actually as high as 70% of people in our country are vitamin D deficient. So they don't have enough vitamin D in their body. Um, and their the body's not producing enough vitamin D, um, so, yeah, something like 70%. And one huge link to that recently, we all know COVID. Um, COVID, people have found, people have been doing studies on the effects of vitamin D deficiency on different respiratory infections. And some of these, some of these individuals, I mean, vitamin D has been studied for a while. Um, there's been lots and lots of studies done over the past five to ten years. Um, and studied so much so that there's been meta-analysis, which is a study of studies. Um, so they go and look at a handful, I think it was probably a dozen or so, different studies that were looking at vitamin D deficiency and the causes and effects. And the results of this uh, meta-analysis were essentially that vitamin D insufficiency is associated with increased susceptibility to infections like acute respiratory tract infections. So that's COVID. Yeah, exactly. Vitamin right. D has been shown to decrease risk of respiratory infections and or severity of respiratory infections. So not only if you get the respiratory infection, but how severe it is, um, meaning how likely you might be to die. So a lot of the deaths around coronavirus, there was a study a little bit early on. You know, this wasn't um, it's, this wasn't like done in May or June. This was maybe April. Uh, based on some Asian, uh, yeah, Asian countries, the Philippines, Indonesia, uh, and some other places, they found a ninety-eight percent, ninety-eight percent of people that died of COVID were vitamin D deficient. That's so, crazy. that's yeah, insane. <laughs> and knowing that seventy percent of our population is vitamin D deficient. We're just like, um, that's a pretty big problem that we should address. Um, you know, I think I haven't heard that enough. I've heard it a couple of times, you know, about your vitamins and your and your uh, your vitamin levels, vitamin C and all the other ones. Um, 
I've heard about that, but I haven't heard about vitamin D as much just in the mainstream, like on social media, like wash your hands, take a vitamin D supplement. Like, no, that's not it. It's wash your hands, stay six feet apart, put on a mask, cover up your face. That's all I've been hearing. Um, but so elderly people have been dying a lot of coronavirus. Elderly people are, have an even high percentage of uh, vitamin D deficiency. Same with obese people. So that's a big reason that the, the number for our country is at 70% vitamin D deficiency. Because, I mean, I don't know the obese rate, but I'm sure it's probably somewhere around 70% or higher. It's probably somewhere near 85 by now. Uh, I, what, I think it's you, closer to... You know? I, the last I heard, it's around 60, which is still extremely high. I just, I don't think it's like 80, 85. Are you sure? I feel like it's higher than that. Regardless, I mean, you it's, it's that pretty one high. More time, the percentage? I guess I just go in Walmart too often is, <laughs> is what it is. No, but uh, 70% wow. of the U.S. population is vitamin D deficient. Um, so, and then, OP, yeah, obese people just have a harder problem with it. Vitamin D is fat-soluble, so it just might not get to the right cells it needs to in time or at all. Um, but, yeah, I mean, it's just every cell has vitamin D receptors, but especially immunological cells, um, they just it just helps fight off these infections and it just supports your cells and, and their functions. Um, so I think that's very important. I think I, we touched on that about when we were talking about the outdoors. That's just important to get outside, uh, get some sun, just enjoy God's creation. And and I think that's even more evident with this vitamin D stuff is you really need to get outside. Uh, I'm lucky enough, like y'all were roasting on me earlier about having pale skin. Um, so pale skin, you, you produce vitamin D a little bit more efficiently. So, Hey, I mean, not saying I don't need to get outside, but if the darker your skin is, I'd say the more often you need to get outside. And I think that's one thing we've seen North versus South actually in some of these COVID cases, New York versus Atlanta. I mean, New York's bigger definitely, and even more compact. But when you just look at two major cities, and you look at, you know, the rates of, and, and I'd assume this, there's no studies on the rates of people getting outside New York versus Atlanta, but, you know, I'd just say we get a little bit more sun down here in the South. I agree. But Cameron, but Cameron. What, what's that? These are big cities. More people live in big cities opposed to rural areas. But doesn't that mean that Bigger cities and, and more urban areas are more likely to spread the virus. And this is not related to vitamin D deficiency. There's no sarcasm in my tone at all. <laughs> no, it's uh, <laughs> it's not just about spread rates and cases, case numbers. Um, it's about the death rate and how, I mean, you can get infected with COVID and not have any symptoms and be perfectly healthy, but still test positive. Um or you could be on a respirator about to die and obviously have COVID. Um, so it's, you know, did were those people vitamin D deficient? Most likely. I mean, 98% most likely. So that's a, that's a pretty big deal. And I think we should hear about that and right. repeat it more often to people around sure. us. 
Um, go get blood tests, do whatever you need. Um, I'm not too worried about it personally. Um, I try to get outside. And like I said, I got uh, that pale Scottish skin. So I think I'm producing it pretty efficiently. And um, yeah, I don't think I need a supplement, but I think a lot of people should be taking a little supplement. You, you can take you can take a lot. Uh, it's funny because the only so I was doing my research, um, and one of the one of the search lines I decided to uh, search was Trump vitamin D, <laughs> and uh, in the height of it, he went and got tested and went and got a blood test, and um, he had taken hydroxychloroquine and he was getting on more vitamin D and vitamin C and zinc and different stuff like that. And, uh, but anyway, one of the only bad articles about vitamin D I found was from CNN. Um, (laughs) and so they were just using, yeah, the favorites, the unbiased news network of CNN. (laughs) Um, (laughs) uh, anyway, it's just some of their language they were using was just off. It was just, you can tell they're out of touch in a lot of areas, um, you know, you're trying to use uh, a colorful language like Trump championed uh, hydroxychloroquine and vitamin D. Um, like, no, he just suggested that, you know, it's a good thing, which every doctor would also tell you that you should uh, check it out, check your levels and uh, take some supplements if you need to. Um, but they tried to dog him and tried to say, um that oh be careful with vitamin d you can take too much um but really when you look at it you got to take uh an exuberant amount um for an ongoing uh time to to see some of the effects that they were talking about in the article uh some of the negative effects of, of vitamin d toxicity at such high level levels um but that's 70% of people are deficient. So you should be telling the majority of people that they should probably get on the supplement, not trying to scare them away from it. Like as a, as it's, Oh, it's just some Trump conspiracy, um, mm. that, that you don't need it. And it's not a problem because it definitely is. I have a question. What's that? So, uh, if you're making recommendations, um, you know, which you obviously can with your medical doctor, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, so, what would you recommend? Would you recommend people uh, incorporate more vitamin D into their into their diet, especially people or into their lifestyle, especially people who uh, may have been exposed to coronavirus, or um, do you think they should in- inject bleach into their blood to to clear out that that virus? Uh, I think the bleach. I mean, I, I think if you're not injecting and at least drinking a gallon of bleach every day, then you're doing it wrong. That's what I like. And to on hear. this week's episode of I've heard of I've heard of bleach shots. I haven't heard of bleach heroin. Good God! <laughs> you got to heat it up first to get it all nice and incompatible with your blood. In a spoon, yeah. usually, and just inject it in yes. there. Wow. Okay, well, well, I guess clip it to I the Instagram. We, to hear it <laughs> here. we are not health experts. Uh, do not take our advice. All liability <laughs> is not on our shoulders. It's on Cameron's shoulders. Anyway, yeah. so, all right, real quick. 
Actual recommendations, though, Cameron, because I am actually curious about this. Let's say, I mean, I, I don't know. Am I, am I vitamin D deficient? Also, if I am, what, what should my next course of action be? Just to wrap it up. Um, you know, it's never, um, it's never advisable to take, you know, drastic steps. Oh, uh, did we lose him? Yeah, I think he's frozen up. Out. Yeah. yeah, you know, I would say from my experience with health stuff like that, I mean, granted, we are under a more scrupulous time. I don't know if scrupulous story word there, whatever. <laughs> um, but exposed time with coronavirus and stuff. But to what Cameron initially said before he got cut off, like taking drastic measures and freaking out never helped anybody. So more so just, you know, incorporating bits of what we're talking about, you know, mindfulness, uh, getting the body's anxiety levels down, really practicing uh, breathing exercises, and then, you know, maybe taking the supplements where you need it. If you don't eat vegetables quite regularly, maybe get a green supplement, you know, just do the small little steps that can add it to your overall cumulative health, I would say is kind of like the message here. Yeah, yeah I know. I know you, the you best. You can definitely go ahead. For uh, just in terms of in terms of like uh, nutrition, I know the best way to get uh, vitamins and minerals is to get it from food sources. Um, mm-hmm. And you know, su- supplements are a good are a good secondary to that. So if you if you are trying to incorporate more vitamin D in, into your life, um, just getting out in the sun. You know, you're like Cameron said, your body makes it uh, naturally, so that's going to be the most natural way for it to to get into your bloodstream and and start. Um, you know, affecting your overall health. Go play some golf. Yeah, Garrett, I, I know you're trying to work on the um, your your chip shot. Uh, yeah, go out on the golf course some more. Got that? You got that right, brother. Right on. All right, guys. Well, that, well, that was an awesome segment, Cameron. Um, so I guess we'll wrap up the the health uh, aspect of us all. Uh, be mindful. Get outside. Take your vitamins if you're deficient. Uh, Pretty common sense here, guys. Pretty common sense. I, um, you, you asked about the implementation. I do have an a important point I think I want to make. Right, real quick, um, Cameron. So I was going to say, you never want to be too drastic when you're making these kind of health and medical changes. Uh, so I would never suggest just to go out and buy vitamin D supplements and just start taking the maximum recommended dose or even more than that. You know, um, I'd say start with going outside. Um, if you're not going outside and not spending at least – you know, 20 minutes a day in the sun, then start there. Uh, also food, you know, green leafy foods, high in vitamin D. Uh, so you already know to be getting those in your diet. Uh, so if you're not start there as well. Um, so just the small steps, that's all I wanted to say to that was, uh, just take some small steps, get in the sun, 20 minutes, you know, bump it up, just, you know, just get there eventually. Um, and because it's yeah. not it's not like you can just take a couple of vitamin D supplements and then be fine. That's cool. that's also not what I'm saying. Wait, that was a good. Right on. Good well, well, that was that was that was awesome insight, Cameron. Uh, audience, thank you all for dealing with the technical difficulty right there while we got him back. Brian, time for you to preach. Get on your uh, get on your podium, big guy. Let's hear it. So um, now we'll be shifting over to wealth, which. I would say is an area that we might have more expertise in considering me and Garrett both have business degrees, but I mean, 
everybody knows that's been to college. That really doesn't make a fuck. So um, <laughs> maybe. Make uh, <laughs> that, maybe that was uh, a great wrong. This discussion. Brian, twenty twenty, um, <laughs> doesn't make a. Fuck. Yeah. <laughs> <Sorry>. <laughs> uh, uh, oh, that was funny. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to uh, interrupt. That was funny. <laughs> gonna have to clean that up. Going forward, um, let's see if this discussion kind of you know sparks that and um, some of our collective experience because we do have work experience, which if you've ever been in a job interview, you'll know is more important than that degree. Um, but the degree gets you in the door, so it's all kind of important. But anyway, so what I'm going to be talking about today is, so I've spoken in previous podcasts about like homeownership, uh, basic real estate investing concepts. However, I've recently decided to switch my long-term strategy a little bit. It's going to sound like a major shift, but real estate, all the principles are pretty much the same. The asset classes just behave a little differently, and I'm going to talk about some of that here um but overall i've decided to shift my investing strategy from multifamily which is anything from you know a four unit uh fourplex all the way up to larger apartment complexes you know 20 50 100 200 unit complexes um but i'm deciding to switch from multifamily to self-storage which is um it's a less popular um, industrial asset. So if, I mean, I'm sure everybody listening to this podcast has at least passed a self-storage facility, um, whether you're driving out in rural Canton, Georgia, or you're right in the heart of downtown Atlanta and you see a smart cube or one of the larger uh, companies with their you know, 18-story storage unit complexes. Um, so, and a couple of reasons why. So, um, as you all know, I'm fresh out of college. I'm not extremely capitalized. I'm not a trust fund baby. I don't have, you know, a six-figure inheritance that I just got from graduating college. That would be nice. But at the same time, um, I do have the knowledge and was blessed with the opportunity to go to college, do finance and real estate, understand you know, the utter underwriting perspectives and then also build on that uh, base knowledge with what I will say is, um, let's call it like extracurricular knowledge. So podcasts, um, books, discussions, you know, talking to people and whatnot. Um, and I would argue I've gotten more out of that in the traditional sense, but that's neither here nor there. Um, so going into that and some of my research within that and why i'm deciding ultimately to go and pursue ownership in self-storage facilities versus multifamily um, the first point i want to make is the asset ownership breakdown so um, that sounds like a bunch of big words but it's really not so with multifamily apartment buildings 80 percent of the asset ownership meaning the people that own and operate those apartments is owned by large institutional investors. So think Wall Street, REITs, which is essentially um, 
think of a REIT as a stock fund for real estate. So they own a bunch of different assets and people buy a share in their REIT. So 80% of multifamily is owned by those kind of, you know, big money corporations. Well, I don't know if corporation is the right word, but whatever. Um, and 20% is like mom and pop, smaller investors, whatnot, uh, smaller companies. So with that, there's implications to where a REIT can target, you know, maybe like a five or 6% return. And that's great for their investors. However, that's going to drive out the small man like me, who's trying to get, you know, 10, 20, maybe even 30% if I'm killing it cash on cash return. Um, Cash on cash, just meaning the money I bring to the table upon buying the asset over that annual year, how much I'm getting back. So say I bring um, 100000 to a deal, I want $10,000, $30,000 back to make it worth my while with all the strings and setup I have to pull to you know, even be at that table. Whereas a REIT, they got a ton of money, so they can just throw it at that. And, you know, maybe they get 6000 on that 100000 You know, that's fine by them. It's just their shareholders, you know, that they're catering to. Yeah. Um, so that point's really interesting. Um, another one, I kind of had an epiphany, and this is when I just kind of made the decision. So what do y'all think is the biggest headache um, in terms of owning and operating, like, an asset, like exactly. a multifamily apartment building? I know exactly where you're going with this. I'm gonna let y'all guess. I would, I would guess the tenants and and actually like maintaining that property. Bingo. This is yeah, this tenants. is so Brian. It hurts. This is so Brian. <laughs> it hurts. But keep going. Oh, you're getting the weeds, and then you'll get the conversational at the end. Um, but yeah, dealing with people. Like, I was thinking, yeah. So when I go in, maybe you know, two three years to get the next uh, acquisition. I was originally targeting anywhere between like a four and eight unit apartment building, doing all the underwriting, stuff like that. And then I was just like, man, you know, dealing with tenants, not fun. Um, and then on my podcast, I heard about self-storage. And when you think about it, so if you have a multifamily apartment building, you're going to have people in there. I mean, they're living there. So, you know, I guess when they're not at work, they're probably there, so at least 50, 60% of the time. And so that building's gonna get, you know, wear and tear. It's gonna be way expedited. And if you wanna, the tenant moves out, you gotta re fix all that crap to get the next one in, or else your rent levels are gonna drop. Whereas self storage, I mean, people are probably on site maybe 10% of the time. Um, it's normally an industrial you know, warehouse type thing. So people don't really give a shit if there's dents in the walls, you know, granted it doesn't need to be a decrepit facility, but like it's had an epiphany. It's like, wow, I can, you know, get maybe the same, if not better returns there and not have to deal with people. So I was like, oh, that sounds pretty good to me. Then my last point, and I swear I'll, uh, I'll pull myself out of the weeds of analysis, but so what do y'all think? I, like the average rent would be i kind of just threw a thousand dollars on there all right oh like depending on any city yeah that's oh, just for me personally wise. yeah I, like 
for an example here, my storage unit out in Oxford that has like half of my shit in it right now. I'm paying We're talking 77 apartment apartments rent. Oh, you're talking about apartment rent. Oh, my bad. Um, yeah, yeah average rent, depending on the area, cities, urban is going to be a thousand bucks a month, or maybe 600, right. 800. Right. And to uh, what you were getting at, the average rent for a storage unit, I mean, you're paying 77. I just threw 100 on there just to keep the you know numbers the same. It's going to be like a way lower percentage than that. So, you know, yeah, maybe let's call it $100. So say I come in and I buy an underperforming facility that um, maybe they're charging like 50 or 60 a unit and the street rate right now is going to like 80 or 90, maybe 100, depends on the market again. Um, but increasing that value, say I went from 80 or from 60 to 80, that's $20, 20 over 60, 33% increase. That's way easier to do. And commercial real estate is all derived on the underwriting value of how much you're charging. So that 33% increase is huge. Whereas say I wanted to increase my $1,000 rent, 33%, that's, that's hefty. You know, and that's going to cause people to be like, oh, maybe I should go find a new apartment. Maybe I can't afford this. Whereas the average Joe that rents a storage unit is like, shit, it's 80 bucks now. Oh, I didn't even know what I was paying the last two years anyway. Screw it. I'm not going to move all my shit to some other facility. So the economies of scale are just, it's way better in my personal opinion. And I know I kind of got in the weeds there, so I'll turn it over for discussion and what y'all think. Because I know, Blake, you're closing on your house here soon. Cameron, you've sourced deals for multiple investors back in your wholesaling days. And then, Garrett, you're also, I mean, with your uncle being a lifetime real estate investor and then also your interest in it, I think it's kind of a good discussion piece. Yeah, real quick, I'm going to start off with two questions. First off, what is a barrier to entry into the storage units? Um, I know you've mentioned in the past that it's pretty predominantly a pop, like from a, like a much higher percentage there than multifamily. But what would be like a yeah. barrier to entry as far as getting into the storage wars? Right. And so I, I meant to include that. So the asset ownership breakdown, multifamily, it's 80% institutional, 20% mom and pop. That Those are flipped in storage units. That's why the barriers to entry and the returns are going to be, barriers or entries are lower, the returns are going to be higher. But in terms of how to get into it, money, obviously, you know, it's commercial real estate, it's not cheap. And then two is systems and automation, which is where like the technology side of my brain really resonates with this, you know, think about it, you got a gate code, you got automatic locks, and you, I mean, depending on the facility, you might not even need an on-ground personnel there to operate it. So that's pretty interesting stuff. Yeah. Okay, real quick. Uh, I do have a second question if no one else has anything. So um, what do you, underperforming store, this is what I don't, don't understand fully and I want you to kind of pick on this. An underperforming storage unit, in my mind, has to do with, you know, it's in a bad area, you know, it's too expensive, or maybe it's bad ownership. Maybe a couple of those things off the top of my head. How do you improve an underperforming storage unit facility? So, um, essentially, you get in there, um, and then you 
you kind of have a hunch off the when you're going through due diligence and stuff and you're targeting properties because you can get into developing storage units, but I don't want to be a developer. There's a lot of risk in that. Um, so you assess the market you want to invest in first, and then you kind of get a ballpark of what this, I said street rate earlier. That's essentially the market rate per square foot of a storage unit. So they normally do it, they do it by square foot. So say it's 80 cents and you have a 10 by 10. So a hundred units at 80 cents a square foot or a hundred square feet at 80 cents, that'd be $80 a month. So that's kind of how the numbers are broken down and you assess the street rate. You, um, you can call in, you know, be like, Hey, I'm Jim Bob trying to get a, uh, storage unit out here in Canton just moved in. What is the rate going? And they do fluctuate day by day, but like, that's the very basic part of how you can get kind of an idea. Um, a lot of it is aesthetic. So if you drive by there, it looks like it hasn't been touched up in 20 years. Odds are you're probably dealing with an owner that's a little older, doesn't really give a shit about improving the facility. He's owned it for 20 years. It's paid off. It's cash flowing. Uh, he got it for a hundred grand back in 1980. Some story like that. Um, and then really just doing your research and diving into it. Cool, man. That's how you would identify that. Yeah. I think it's you awesome. would, uh, I think what you were saying about the mom and pop versus institutionalized ownership plays a big part of that. Um, you know, you're more likely to find a good opportunity if it's just a mom and pop owner versus an institutional owner who's squeezing every dollar out of it that can. And they have a team working on how to do that. If it's just a mom and pop, they, like you said, they might have it already paid off and they're not too worried and they like just making their renters happy or their, their, uh, their occupiers happy. Um, and they just keep the price low, don't fix the place up. Um, but you come in, see that money every month. Yeah. They see the money every month. You come in, you fix the place up a little bit. Uh, you spend maybe, maybe they're not spending any on marketing either. Uh, like you, like you're saying what it looks like from the, we've all driven past a storage unit. So maybe you think of that when you're like, I need to get a storage unit. Um, but if you don't really notice some crappy little building off to the side, um, that's a storage place. You might not think of it when you need to go get one, but if the, if it looks nice, there's a nice sign, there's good marketing maybe out there, then, then the rates, there's more demand, then the rates can go up. So, but it all goes back mm -hmm. to that, who owns it? Is it in, more institutionally owned or a mom and pop that you might be able to find a good deal off of? Uh, make them happy, give them all the money they, they want from it, uh, and still be able to, you know, still have it be a good opportunity where you can make money off it. Yeah. Um. If yeah, I definitely have one more question, and and not to bore anyone to death here, other than Brian and I. But uh, I am very curious in this. I think it's a great idea. So, speaking from my own experience, I don't know about you guys, but I'm gonna pick out a storage unit. There's only one deciding factor for me. And one thing matters: how close is Location. it to where I'm trying to go? If it's right. What like Cameron? You like you said you could have a nice storage unit that's fixed up. Shit, my com computer could die at any second. Um, you could have a nice storage unit that's fixed up, that is nice. It's marketed to me, and and but if it's fifteen minutes out of the way compared to Joe Blow's uh, storage unit facility, that's two minutes out of the way. There's no the, no nominal thirty percent increase in rates or decrease in rates are gonna me from wanting to go to that one opposed to the one that's closer so that's the challenge that i see in my head 
the forward. Mm-hmm. Um, Brian, any how thoughts big, on that? Yeah, how big do you think the market is for any given storage unit when you're checking and underwriting stuff to drive uh, comps? What's the metric for that? Like mileage. Yeah, distance. From where the where the facility is located, how far out are you looking to establish oh, um, a basis for what the price should be? What do you think that number is? 20 miles. Uh, uh, three. That's how small and granular it gets when you're setting those prices. Wow. So, wow. It's pretty interesting. Three to five miles. Yeah. Interesting. Um, guys, any, any last thoughts? Any questions or anything? Um, Brian did a really good job of kind of laying it all out there and giving us a good insight. You know, that's it's a great idea uh you know especially the points that you bring up about you know minimal risk obviously you have monetary risk but minimal risk as far as like you know people come in they they you know it's a need you you need storage and 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 that's it um any other other questions or thoughts i i I think it's an interesting route to go uh i know whenever i think of real estate i think of either uh, residential or commercial real estate um such as like office spaces and things like that um uh, I remember you and I talked about this a little while ago, Brian, and it's it's a it's a unique idea, um, and it it I mean it makes sense listening to you talk about it, uh, you know, with definitely a lower a lower cost uh, to en- to entering that market. Um, I, I think I think it's a, a unique a unique way to to get into the real estate world. Yeah, but it sucks, and nobody listening should, you know, try to come and look into it because, you know, it's probably not that good. So, I think yeah. everyone listening should do exactly what we say. <laughs> they should follow all yeah. of our advice and agree with yeah. it, with all of you our clip that. <laughs> I think we it's might like need to clip that. People that live in Montana, <laughs> it's like, yeah, no, it actually sucks. Don't come up here. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. Um, guys, how are we doing? Everyone good? This has been a long one. Everyone feeling good? Yeah, yeah. I, I think we're having uh, some great discussions. Uh, definitely. Man, do we do we need do we need to do a six two seven real quick? Uh, what does that mean? Six two seven. Oh, Come on, Blake. <laughs> I'm so stupid. On, teacher. <laughs> do a six two seven. It's called a recalibrate. The that's that's the recalibrate right. exercise. All right, recalibrate. I'll, lead us, I'll lead us off. All right, here we go. Seven. You guys, ready? Yeah. In for six. One, two, three, four, five. Oh, I messed up. Six. Hold for two. One, two. Out for seven. Two, three, four, five, six, seven. I feel better. All right, Garrett. Drive us home with our wealth discussion. Apparently, you are rich. So rich. Let's do it. Garrett, I, loaded. I mean, uh, BFT's got this, me loaded. This is going to be a great discussion. We were talking about this yesterday. Uh, I think I think a lot of us are going to re- not resonate per se, but have a lot of opinions on it, uh, as well as our listeners. Uh, I think this is an important thing to talk about, especially in today's trying times. Wow, Blake's making me sweat for my hands right here. Pressure is on. <laughs> um, all right, guys. Yeah, I, I got one that kind of hits a little bit close to home. You know, earlier we talked a lot about. Uh, big congressional senate hearings um big tech etc there was a there was another point of contention and a lot of news last, this last week as well 
has to do with unemployment. So in case you guys do not know, the unemployment benefits that have been going on for the last few months related to COVID and out on Friday. Okay, So people who have filed for unemployment, there have been 18 million people who have filed for unemployment. Um, in the U.S. right now, there's an, an additional 12 million who are re- receiving other unemployment benefits. But the primary people, the 18 million, have been receiving $600 a week over the last few months. That money ran out on Friday. So the Senate and the, and the and Congress as a whole has been working on trying to refill the money, right? So obviously we're still in the midst of the crisis and you know, there's still people not at work and Congress is trying to decide what should we do, okay? And just a little bit more information, P came back and they said, well, let's do $200 a week. Let's keep it going um, for the next two months, September. And the the Democrats have come back and said, let's do $600 a week. Let's keep it going all the way until 2021. So that's a major point of contention. Yes. Yes, absolutely. Raise taxes. Just, uh, just so, stomp the economy into a pulp. 100%. Inflation rates are up. Like a lot, there's, you know, there's a lot of negative impacts that that can bring. So um, obviously that's going on right now. Um, but What's up, Blake? I'm just pointing at Tux. Sorry. I didn't mean to <laughs> oh, interrupt yeah. you. Uh, so, you're good, man. So keep that in mind, guys, is that that's a major point of contention right now. But I wanted to bring this to you guys, to the audience. I want to have this discussion with you. Um, I think there's a, a huge pandemic that's not being talked about right now in our country that we're dealing with, and it's the small business pandemic. Can you all hear me still? Yeah, you uh, you're cutting out a little bit, but you good. You're small business pandemic. Yeah, maybe pandemic's not the right word, but we have a small business crisis in our country right now, guys. Um, so since the beginning of the pandemic, um, obviously we remember back in the quarantine, many businesses were completely shut down, um, not allowed to open their doors, um, as we quarantined to try to get rid of the virus, and it was supposed to be a short term thing. Now it's become a long term thing. Has been something that has drug on for months, right? So we're at a state right now where local governments, state governments, and the federal government is trying to decide what's the right course of action going forward. How are we going to, you know, provide for the people who are in need, keep them from losing everything, you know, giving them unemployment funds, etc. And but how do we balance that with, you know, keeping the economy open and not getting people, sick and and trying to keep people healthy, etc. Right? So here's my 10,000 foot worldview on this. Back to the small business crisis. Been in the state of Georgia alone, I'll pull up the numbers real quick. There's been over 1,500, um, 1,500 small businesses in the state of Georgia alone who have faltered in the uh, during the quarantine. Oh, um, been 1,600 local businesses that were that have been closed since Georgia since March. I'm looking at the Wall Street Journal for this, these numbers right now. If you guys want to go look at the article, we can post it in the link. Um, we have 47% of small businesses in the state of Georgia who are at risk of default this year, uh, which is right below the national average. Um, just for comparison's sake, in California, which has been a uh, stay-at-home mandate over the last few months, or however long, has 12,205 small businesses that have been closed between March 1 and July 25th. So this is a, this is, yeah, this is a major, major crisis, guys. And the numbers are just, just 
industry across the across the uh, across the country. And obviously, we talked about big tech. Big tech's doing well. Big tech is fine, right? They numbers have been up. Nasdaq is up, which is the index that guides the tech stocks. Big companies are good, but what about the company, the small business that your family owns? What about the small company around the corner that you like to get a cheeseburger at? What about the bar down the street that you and your buddies go to on a Friday night to have a good time? What about your college town, the college town that relies on college students being being around? Now they're not allowed to come back. You know what? What about all these various people? And most important thing that I want you guys to really capture there is what about the company that you work for company that is not a major corporation that you work for that is locally owned and that's locally funded. These people are faltering. Obviously, we had the PPP fund that came in, um, but that money's running out as well, right? So, guys, I, I just wanted just to, you know, bring this to your attention. I don't have any major solution here. I do want to – I will say this. Here, here's my thought process here. As small business, businesses falter and, and fall apart, lose their jobs that obviously increases unemployment and the economy f- falters as well okay so my proposal is this right take the reins off government take the reins off okay these companies these businesses that are not allowed to be open right now during the quarantine let them open the doors open yeah, right 100%. we all understand the risk we all understand the risks right now that are going on in our country. We understand that there's a pandemic. We understand that you know, we all, we all under, we're, we're all very cognizant of this. But so are the businesses, so are the people who work for them. You can continue to pump money uh, into unemployment, but paying people more than what they would make on a weekly basis unemployment is not going to incentivize them to come back to work and provide for their families and Provide a service to their country. It's not. It's going to encourage them to stay home, right? And that's just not good for for what we have here. I, I just my recommendation is let's take the reins off of these all businesses. Let's let them open. Let's let them install their own uh, health guidances and and their own rules. Um, decide for themselves what they think is best. Because at the end of the day, if they are doing is not right it's not good then people are not going to pay the money people are not going to show up if they don't feel like they're safe they're not going to show up let them decide for themselves give them individual responsibility and enable them not disable them so that they can provide for their employees and provide for their own family um these people the the backbone of our country is built upon the local and small businesses uh what they offer um jobs they create etc so step off my uh soapbox Damn. here and, and let you guys uh hit me with some rebuttal hit me with some discussion yeah i uh i i wholeheartedly agree uh with that thing you said there uh let the government take the reins off um so let's let's just let's think of what what america is and um you know we've all heard the term the american dream that's that's what this country was founded upon um you know maximizing freedom that's why uh, people all around the world want to come to America to to have the opportunity to succeed. And you're not going to have your your average your average Joe, um, you know, moving here from Europe or you know um, coming up from some other country isn't going to succeed when when the only people succeeding are these these massive corporations who who are well established. It's going to be someone who starts their own business. It's going to be someone uh, who you know lives lives in a community. Um, you know, starts up, starts up a shop, uh, you know, selling whatever you can think of, 
selling flowers, selling selling food, uh, providing some sort of service or good that 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 community needs. This the average person relies and benefits on small businesses the most, um, and and that's that's the best way to to maximize happiness uh, for one, and and to maximize um, your own personal wealth. I believe. Sorry, my cat is making a whole lot of noise here. Um, absolutely, no, you're good. And so, so if these, if you know, we we gotta we gotta take a take a hard look at, at what's going on right now. Do a do a real in depth cost benefit analysis, um, and just look look and see what's gonna maximize the um, you know what what's gonna minimize the suffering, um, and what's gonna maximize people's future in the long term. Um, we we kind of right. spoke on this last episode. Uh, talking about you know um, we're we're all scared of that that immediate threat that short term you know um, threat of getting coronavirus and you know poss you know ha- having having a loved one or yourself uh, die from the coronavirus. But five years down the line, um, what's what's our future going to look like if if we we destroyed the economy and people's freedom to uh, to protect ourselves I- from that that short term threat? Um, so, you know, if, and you also gotta, you gotta, you also gotta ask the question, um, we've, we've been in this lockdown, uh, this quarantine, uh, for since March, uh, however many months that's been so far. And it it doesn't seem like we're making a dent in, in coronavirus cases. It doesn't seem like we're slowing down the spread at all. So, you know, we, we got to look at it and be like, all right, obviously this lockdown is not, not doing what it's supposed to do. Um, we we got to start opening things back up and, and let nature take take its course. You know some some people are gonna get sick. That's just the way life goes. You know you drive your car, you get in a car accident. You um you go out to Walmart, you you catch you, you catch some sickness, um and and you know nature nature takes its course from there. Um but yeah we I think we just we need to stop these um stop this overarching control over people's individual freedoms um and just sit. Just just let people Amen. let people do what they want. Let that's it. That's it right there, dude. It, it's yeah. all about it's all about the control over over people's individual freedoms, and that's that's really the like main point here that I want to drive home. And we kind of talked about this earlier. Government is not always the answer. Oh, seriously? Yeah, government government is not always the answer. Obviously, Donald Trump is the president of the United States, but if you wanted me and I, and I voted for him and vote for him again in 2020 but if you wanted me to say that i trust him to make the decisions that better my life you wanted me to put that responsibility on him hell no oh no he doesn't know shit about me like my own liberties my own life should be governed by myself not my local state or federal government right there's a thing here that we're kind of losing in the midst of all this and it's called individual responsibility accountability and taking taking ownership over your own life, taking ownership over, over, uh, your responsibilities. Right. So like Blake mentioned, like, you know, we accept risk every day when we walk out of our front door into the world. Obviously if you know, there's situations where, you know, we shouldn't outside, if there's, you know, crisis, then we should be more cautious of that. So we're sickly, whether we could easily become sickly. But all I'm, all I'm saying here regarding small businesses is just giving them the option, the individual responsibility to decide for themselves to open and not be forced to close um, by the government. And 
obviously, you know, these people, these small business, local people who have so much money and risk into starting a company and, and government of all people is shutting them down right? and, and forcing them to fault. Um, it rains off. Let's just, let's just get back on track. The easiest way to take care of 18 million people who are unemployed is not giving them 600 bucks a week. It's not giving them 200 bucks a week. Give them a job. Giving them purpose. Giving them something to work towards every day. Giving them something to do five days a week, six days a week, etc. cetera, uh, to be able to provide for not only their families, but also for each other, for the country, for their people in their community. Um, you know, that's, that's my take. Um, Y'all know where I stand. Oh, just a little side note here. California earlier. Uh, California has been dealing with a large amount of fraudulent claims um, for unemployment. People basically who are either un- uh, not actually unemployed or they have the option to come back to work or et cetera, uh, they're flooding the, uh, the state unemployment backlog with fraudulent, fraudulent claims um, to collect that $600 or whatever check. Um, and funny yeah. enough, this is just very ironic. Uh, guess who's hiring California citizens? Guess who's hiring? Amazon. A California state unemployment office to deal with all these fraudulent claims oh. backlogs. Oh, my God. Uh, so, That's guys, true. listen. There's And another little fact for you. Um, I read this today on, I think it was ZipRecruiter. Uh, don't quote me on that. But online job job ads have steadily increased 60% from April from I'm sorry from May to June this year. Jobs are out there people like it's like you know I'm I'm looking for a job right now I'm trying to figure out what my next move is and there's a ton of options out there, right? Lucky cuz I have a little bit of time on my hand to you know decide what my next move is, but there are opportunities out there to be had. So, I'm collecting the $600 check if you can, look for jobs and government take the reins off of small business people around the country let them take individual responsibility for their own business for their own employees and i trust in the american people in the american way the american dream that they will might make the right decision well one thing i just want to add real quick um and we and we can move on um it's just it's it's never a good idea to to take money from the government the government there's there's two ways you get money from the government one you, uh, you, so the government makes their money in taxes, right? Meaning that they're they're taking money from the American people, and you know taxes are necessary uh, to a certain degree. You know we're we're all part of a community. We should all pitch in a, a little bit to uh, to to fund services like the fire department or or roads or things that we all use as an American community. Um, so the government gets their money through taxes. They don't they don't generate money because they they don't they don't provide you know. They, they don't make anything. They don't, you know, they, they have, they don't, their only source of, of income, of revenue, if you want to put it that way, is through taxes. And, and so there, there's two ways that you're going to get, get government from the money. It's either taken from, from one person and given to another person. That's a, it's a transitive tax. Um, and, you know, to some degree, sure. Uh, yeah. Like people who are super wealthy, you know, help, help out the, the lesser man. Um, but the, the, the next way and the most harmful way and the way that we've we've been we've been seeing most of this uh, this money come from uh, since the start of the pandemic is through printing money. So the Fed, our our, our national bank, print, prints money, um, and you know they're not part of the government, but they are um, they're tied to the government, 
And so they they print American currency. Um, and so so what the what what the government's been doing to to send out that that twelve hundred dollar check that you guys all got to to pay for these employment benefits is <laughs> to just print more money. They're right. just and, and that's. You you can't just make you just can't make more money and expect its its value to to stay the same. That's how inflation comes about. And so if you just have this unlimited in, uh, increase in, in printing money, you're I mean that's that's going to cause some some massive damage down the line. Um, and that that's kind of where I'll I'll leave it. Um, you know we're we're seeing yeah. a, a massive print increase in the amount of money that's being printed, and you know that's that's going to hurt people real bad in the long run. Yeah, well- one hundred percent. Have um, yeah. Have you ever thought about yeah? Have you ever thought about uh, what um, what's going to be the consequences for these twelve hundred dollars checks that we keep getting? Yeah, they're yeah. not good thoughts. <laughs> those, those aren't um, good wonders. Real quick, I want to pull up. But it's free money. What do you mean, <laughs> right, guys? I know we're getting close to the end. But I want to pull up one fact. Pull numbers yeah, real quick. Yeah, we'll drive it home. I, mean, I, got, um, I got a point to say about the small businesses, just as a yeah. a, a quick little stand against the government, <laughs> which is where I'm pretty much gonna gonna be most of the time. But uh, you know, we we the people should should get them to pull like pull back the reins. I mean, I take off the reins, you know, like you were saying. But I think uh, um, we as individuals, we as men and women, shouldn't be letting the government put the reins on us in the first place. Um, if the city, if whatever the state, the stay at home orders, BS, I go wherever I need to go. Uh, the mask orders that might be implemented that have been implemented in cities, I'll put whatever on my face. I feel like I need to put on my face. Um, so don't be afraid of the government is, is one of them. (laughs) I mean, (laughs) I'm I'm gonna go down that road a lot because I I'm, I'm about not letting them put the reins on you instead of asking and pleading for them to take them off. That's where the power of the vote comes in. Voting local impacts you more than the, the federal people up at the top. You know. Yeah, lo- locality, like right, so, so. doing more things local, supporting your local businesses, these small businesses that, that are hurting the most. Amazon's not hurting. Facebook isn't hurting. We, Google's not hurting. You know, support local yep. businesses. Go out of your way to try and support local businesses. Absolutely. Yeah, nailed you it. Um, the number I was – yeah, man. Real quick, number I wanted uh, to show to you guys, uh, just kind of tie us off. So going back to the debt versus, you know, um, whatever conversation. So our current U.S. national debt clock has us at about $26 trillion. Okay. Jesus. You want to know what our uh, U.S. GDP, our gross domestic product, is for uh, 2018? Like uh, I'm going to go with 4.2%. $21 trillion for 2018. Wait, right, so yeah. quick analysis there is, wait a second. Our national debt is more than our yearly input, economic input, right? Good. Not good. What's, what's that term? Um, Never mind. It's uh, upside down. Uh, yeah. Oh, yeah. There, <laughs> yeah, there's they're some running, economics. They're running out of money. I don't remember. They're, uh, yeah. they, they're running out of options. They're running out of money. They're not going to be able to pay the pensions. Uh, to yeah. fund the police so they don't have to pay the pensions. 
That's what they're yep. going for. Pretty much. But, uh, guys, I feel like we had a really good discussion today talking to my co-hosts here. Audience, really hope that you guys enjoyed it. Um, we hope you enjoyed the uh, the thematic uh, topic today as my dog walks in. We hope you enjoyed the uh, the topic today, health and wealth. If you guys like the theme of the week, we'll continue to do that going forward. Um, but anyway, uh, we had some good discussion. Hope you guys enjoyed it. We're about to sign off. Wanna, oh, Cameron's bringing up the 420. Okay. Hey, who had who had the most beers here out of anyone on the podcast during this? Brian. It was probably Brian. Not uh, I had two as well. Okay, so we all went too deep. Right on. So if you guys want to see us go, oh, if you guys want to see us go deeper, your count, uh, please let us know, and we'll just really pound. Uh, <laughs> but <laughs> uh, appreciate you guys tuning in as always. Uh, appreciate you guys sticking around for the marathon. We got Cameron Campbell. We got Blake Manzer. We got the Brian Eduardo. And signing off here is Garrett Lusk. See you guys next week. Thanks for Peace tuning out. in, guys. See y'all.